Is it possible to run a small advisory firm to meet the needs of every single potential customer? Effectively having a never say no approach? In this episode of the Marketing Protection and Finance podcast, I talk to a financial advisor who does just that. Hi, it's Roger Edwards here and welcome to the Empath Podcast. This is the podcast for providers and advisors looking to share business ideas and inspiration in the world of protection and finance. You can find the notes that go with the show at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash empath. In the meantime, let's get on with the show and prepare to be inspired. I'm delighted to introduce my guest today, and he is Pete Chadbourne. Pete is a financial advisor with Plan Money in Colchester. He's a well-known press commentator on financial services issues. Pete also does consulting work around the industry, giving his direct views from the coalface to provider firms. And a little-known fact about Pete is he took part in a soccer scholarship in New Jersey, USA, when he was 19, although he did tell me that he focused more on the beer that was available than the football. So, Pete, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Roger. How are you this morning? Yeah, all good, thank you. Thanks for coming on the show. Before we get into our main discussion, Pete, let's find out a little bit more about you. So tell everyone a little bit about your background so that we can get to know you and what makes you tick. Well, like a lot of people, Roger, I fell into the financial services industry. Um, I was 20 years old. I'd come back from this uh, this soccer scholarship and um, found myself uh, being interviewed for an area representative's job at Refuge Assurance, which was the good old fashioned home service um, man from the Prue type job. And um, like a lot of people, I think it just became a job for a period of time and found myself there 10 years later and thought, OK, this is the industry and I need to start taking it seriously. So then I spent five years in bank assurance working for Barclays. Uh, before setting up um, the IFA firm, which is now known as, as Plan Money. So I'm, I'm 25 years in. 25 years and a lot of experience at the coalface, as, yeah. as you've said. And, and have you seen a lot of changes in the industry over that time, actually? I, I, as I've just said that, I realise what a silly question that is because uh-huh. there has been so many changes. What, what would you identify as the main thing that's changed in your, in your um, experience as a financial advisor? There are so many, um, as you say, and I think the two biggest ones have to be regulation. Um, I, think, I think we largely have been through the regulatory changes that we deserve as an industry. And so we are where we are. I haven't really got a problem with that, by and large. Um, and the other one is, is something which I think is much more positive, which is much better consumer awareness. Um, because before when I started, you know, the, the advisor knew everything about everything to do with financial advice and, and consumers knew very little. Whereas now, of course, we have much better informed consumers. And I think that's helped raise the game for everybody. And that's one of the main focuses of the Empath podcast, Pete, is to focus on the consumer. And, and, and it's great to hear you say that, that in, in the modern world, we've got all this digital technology and all this information, that mm. customers are taking a, a bigger interest in what we do. But I still think we as an industry need to do more to, to communicate our messages to consumers. Would you agree Most, with that? I, I would. I would most definitely. Um, I, I think to a certain extent, 
we also have the reputation we deserve and we find that a lot of people that come to us and we often get asked what is a typical client and really there isn't one but the typical scenario is someone who is a master mixed bag of stuff of financial uh, products which they've been sold to or or, 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 or gathered themselves over the years and they just want someone to make sense of it all and so the first question is often what is your experience of of getting financial advice and, and dealing with the industry and unfortunately it's not very often it's not that positive and so we feel we have a bit of a reputation mending exercise to go through first. What are some of the uh, negatives that people feel um, and then experience? And what can we do to overcome those? And what have you done to overcome those? Certainly the opaqueness of remuneration um, and right up to RDR. And, we, you know, I'm going to I'm going to carry on a the theme of, of mine of criticising the banks here. And I can say that having worked there is that even prior to RDR, just the, just the, the, the spirit of, of, of uh, making our remuneration reflect the work that we've received just, just wasn't being done. And, and again, right up until the introduction of RDR, the misconception that people had of going to their bank because it was free, um, and or if I go and see an IFA, it'll be expensive, won't it? They'll charge me a big fee. Whereas, in fact, our, our charges, our costs were lower than the bank. So that's something that I've, which I've always found very frustrating. And how do people find a financial advisor these days? Do they go to Google? Do they get referred by a friend? Um, how, how do they find you? 95% of all our work comes rec- uh, recommended either by professional associates or typically through existing clients. So we don't advertise in the traditional sense. And I think that's often the case for, for a lot of RFA firms. And that's a, that's a great endorsement. Um, yeah, some some Googlers, and you know, because of the uh, some of the media work I've done, as you say, I can, I can sometimes be found that way. Um, and through the likes of Unbiased, but by and large, it's recommendation. Okay, so let's move on to today's main discussion. This is where we talk about a business model or a new product launch or a new marketing campaign or simply a hot news story. But what would be really fascinating today, Pete, is just to dig a little bit deeper into your business, into your financial model. And when we were talking in the in the green room before I pressed record this morning, you mentioned something quite fascinating called a financial project manager. So why don't you tell us a little bit about plan money and, and how things work and, and, and how you set yourself up. Yeah, we've been very conscious over the years to not try and say no to anybody. It's, it's, it's been a, a common theme. Um, and by that, we, we position the advisor as the financial project manager and say, come to us for all manner of financial planning requirements and we'll be able to help you. Now, of course, straight away on hearing that, uh, you could say, well, that means the advisor becomes a jack of all trades. And I would agree that no one advisor can do everything. So it's been very important to build a team of people and not just advisors, but, but a team here where we can deal collectively with everything, whether it's through specific qualifications, particular expertise or even externally. Um, so I'll give you some examples from that. I don't get involved in any lending related advice. I have a couple of colleagues who are specialists in that area. We have someone who's qualified and is a specialist in giving long-term care advice, equity release advice. We have an advisor who's chartered and an advisor who can give occupational pension advice. Now, these are, these are quite diverse areas of, of, of financial planning, and it's, I don't believe one advisor can cover all these areas. So it's important to present this team approach. 
we have to have a good administrators around us as well and I don't understand why an advisor would want to do all their admin themselves as well because we're just simply not that good at that. Uh, and even externally, we've got contacts with estate agents, with uh, private medical insurance advisors, because we don't advise on that area, with accountants, with solicitors, with film societies. And so we feel we can confidently say we don't have to say no to anybody, because as soon as you do, you're sending that client off somewhere else. And that somewhere else could be someone that promotes a similar service to what you're offering. And before you know it, You've opened the door and you've let someone else start chipping away at your what could be a valued client. And that's been something that which we've been deliberately building over a, over a period of time. We feel we've got that right now. And so a client coming to plan money could actually see several people in the yes, course absolutely. of their advice. They would have a key relationship with one person and that person would oversee and would be kept in the loop with everything that's going on. And the idea being that whatever may come up in the future, because let's face it, you know, the, most people's first port of call for, for anything these days, let alone financial planning, is to Google it. And uh, we want us, we want plan money to be uppermost in people's minds when they think about anything finance related. Because if we're not careful, they go off and they get caught into a loop somewhere else. Yeah, and the, the fight for customers these days is mm. intense. That we can't really afford to let anybody walk out the door. So it sounds like you've got a really interesting model here, which is probably a little bit different to other advisor firms. So how did you come up with the this business model? Take us right back to the beginning when that light bulb went off and you realised that this was the way you wanted to take things. Well, it was really first for me when... I decided not to carry on giving mortgage advice because I would have colleagues who would be actively advising in the mortgage market who, who would be doing getting a couple of applications underway each day. And I might be doing one a month, you know, and it would take me six hours to do what they would do in an hour. And I thought, this is crazy. Why don't I refer across to them? get a share of the remuneration, which is something we can sort out internally. And it's a much better use of my time. Um, the idea then took a step forward when probably about five years ago now, myself and my business partner, Peter Wright, were sitting down with a bunch of IFAs uh, at a, a DFM providers. And they were saying to us, all, what are you going to do post RDR uh, with non-profitable clients, low value clients? You know, this, this whole phrase that gets banded around, but, you know, call it what it is. And to a person, every other IFA was saying, well, we'll just have to let them go. We just can't deal with them anymore. And myself and Pete were saying, this doesn't, this doesn't feel right. Um, soon you start saying no to people, um, then that's, you, you, you've kissed goodbye to that client forever. And more importantly, or more relevantly, because 95% of our work comes via recommendations, what happens when we get uh, a referral from a high value, quote unquote, client uh, who refers across perhaps, I don't know, their sister-in-law who wants to start a £50 a month ISA for, for you know, little Johnny or whatever. And, um, and we're sitting there saying, oh, what are we going to do? Because this is going to cost me money to process it, but I don't want to say no to them. So that got us thinking that we just, we've got to find a way of being able to provide a service which is valued by the client, but is also profitable for us. Uh, and that led us to the idea of wanting to expand upon or put a lot of effort into getting a decent website and expanding across that to be able to uh, offer non-advised solutions. And then there's the sharp intake of breath because um, <laughs> advisors, 
generally have taken the view, you know, advice good, non-advice bad. And if you'd asked me five years ago, you know, what do you think of non-advice? You'd have got, you know, boo, hiss, that's terrible. But we thought, you know what, we're, we're, you can't be King Canute here sitting here trying to push back the, the, the waves because everybody is expecting to deal online when it suits them now. So why can't we build a non-advised solution um, which helps service those low-value transactions? Not because it's going to make us much money, but just because it's a way of not saying no and keeping people in our trusted circle. I think this whole not saying no concept is really fascinating. And and I suppose if you look at bigger companies, life insurance providers or even bigger advisor networks, they've they've probably got bigger client bases and they probably feel that it's all right to let some clients go. I mean, indeed, some some, um, life insurance protection providers through their underwriting process are are declining quite a high (laughs) number of of, uh, applicants these days. But for a smaller business like yourself, where almost every client matters, the, the not saying no to anybody model really has to be the key to your success. I, I think you're right. Um, we, we know our, our thinking isn't very common uh, along these lines. Um, and I think what puts a lot of people off is thinking that it's either going to cost a lot of money to develop something like this, um, which it will if you try and build it yourself, and we haven't deliberately haven't done that because that's, that's n- not going to work. Um, or it's not going to make you a lot of money, but that's not the point. It's not meant to be um, a high revenue production. Yes, in, in, in time, an unintended consequence might be that people find our website that way and non-advised clients become advised clients, but that's not the objective. The objective is, is, is to look after the existing clients and good clients, and as you say, every client does matter and all the business experts will be saying well of course you just have to let them go you have to elegantly disengage is is a a wonderful phrase i've heard um but we don't think you do i I like people to take big business ideas away from the empath podcast one thing i wouldn't like people to take away with them is elegantly disengage (laughs) that just doesn't sound good at all what challenges did you face getting this initiative off the ground and, and how did you overcome those challenges to make that work? The biggest challenge was how do you build this? How do you, because again, what's worth remembering in all of this is that plan money is a, is a small IFA firm. We're very typical, in fact, in our size in that there are four advisors and two administrators. So, um, you know, we're, we're, we're a, a small fish in a big pond um, but we are our model is very typical so again myself and Pete Wright we sit down and say how do we do this and first of all how do you put aside enough time to do this because we're spinning enough plates as it, as it is and then how do you raise the capital to do this and do you even want to do that so to actually try and build something like that ourselves w- was just never going to work so the solution we, we came up with is well we have to piggyback something that's already out there we have to create what we call a plug-and-play solution where we can co-brand or, or even white-label something, um, which can be as best possible a seamless journey from our website to someone who's already doing this. And, and that was the, 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 the best compromise that we came up with. And give me an example of how that um, white-labeling works on your website, Pete. Well, at the moment, it's a co-brand. So we've partnered with PayingTooMuch.com, um, and they are they are established already doing this. We were attracted to working with them because Mike Ward has, has got a, a very good working knowledge of the IFA world as it is um, through, through, through all the, what he did with direct love and pensions. So 
that is a, a separate page on our website. So clients would come to our website or we'd direct them to our website. It would say, well, how do you want, how do you want us to deal with you? You can plan with advice and that means this, or you can plan direct and that means this. And there, there's all the caveats and the warnings around that. Go to plan direct and then you effectively land on or that there is a link to um, the paintoomuch.com website. And on there, clients can buy simple protection. They can buy uh, car insurance, house insurance, energy comparison, all this sort of stuff which advisors would typically not want to get involved in and would have said, no, we're not interested in that. Um, and there's a remuneration share for that. So that's the first step for us um, in, in developing something like that. And um, the next step we want to look at is to try and do something for um, straightforward investments as well. I like that simplicity of the client arriving and effectively being given those two choices. And let's face it, a lot of people wouldn't even give them those choices. And again, that's how you say some companies could be losing clients. That's an interesting point. Sorry to interrupt there, Roger. That's that's an interesting point because, uh, again, all the the business gurus and and coaches and so on would, would say that, or have said traditionally over the years that as an IFA firm, you set your stall out and you say, this is who we are, this is how we operate, and, and this is how we do business with you. If you're not right for us, jog on. Um, now, if you can operate successfully um, in that manner, fair play to you. I'm, I'm not going to criticise that. If that works for you, great. Um, but we felt there are a lot of IFA firms who aren't in that position and can't say that and will perhaps be a little bit narrow-minded in saying that, and we included ourselves in that. What's the one big idea that's come out of your business model that you'd like those people listening to this podcast today to take away from these experiences that you've had? I think it would just be to consider how you don't say no to people, or, or perhaps to rephrase that better, the consequences of saying no to somebody to say you haven't got enough money <laughs> um, now if that someone's come knocking on your door cold fine okay they may n- never be a long-term client and if you're busy enough as it is okay perhaps that's not a problem but if you're like us and most of your work comes referred from existing clients and existing connections think of the impact on that relationship when you're then saying no um, and, and just perhaps think a little bit further about how you can, of course, you've got to be profitable in how you do it, but there are ways to do, to offer a service that is profitable for the RFA firm and valued by the client and still keeps them within your trusted circle. This approach of yours is obviously very customer focused. And again, it's one of the, uh, one of the things that I like to highlight on the podcast is how the industry can become more customer focused. What do you think that the industry needs to do as a whole? And I don't just mean independent financial advisors. I mean product providers, protection providers, investment providers. What do we need to do to be, become more consumer focused? Roger, you very skillfully manoeuvred my soapbox right in front of me, and I'm about to stand on it. <laughs> <laughs> you go ahead and elevate yourself as high as you like, Pete. Um, what attracted me, first of all, to, to doing um, media work, in the, tra- predominantly trade media work, was the observation that a lot of what I would call the d- important decision makers in, in the industry, and, and that's the industry at large, not just, not just the protection industry, seem to have very little understanding of what goes on at the coalface. So a bit of a cliche, but there is, I think, or still is, and was then, a big disconnect. So the opportunity to tell it how it is and and to to 
be a commentator who actually does the job um, rather than you know read spreadsheets uh, was was very attractive and that's always motivated me to to to, to try and champion causes or, or promote ideas and one of one of those is to better understand consumer behaviors and certain things which providers do or don't do which make either the IFA's job very difficult uh, and time consuming or disengage the customer and, and in fact does nothing to engage consumers um, with financial planning. Um, and the protection industry is, falls foul of that in, in, in lots of ways sometimes. But the, the, the biggest one of those is with the whole damn underwriting process. It, it's, it, it's such a turn-off for people, and it's a turn-off for advisors as well. And I'm going to give you an example of what I mean by this. Uh, two years ago, I was making a presentation at the protection review seminar, and it was along the theme of help me not fall out of love with protection. Because as advisors were remodelling their business leading up to RDR, it became very apparent, if it hadn't done already to advisors, of where protection stuck out like a sore thumb. And what I mean by that is with investment work, with retirement planning work, you can align your remuneration. In fact, you have to. Uh, the focus, the, the pressure is on, on us to do it much more um, uh, beyond RDR. We, we can align our remuneration with the work make that transparent and so on. And because of the underwriting process in protection, that's never possible to do. An advisor could be arranging a protection policy for a client that has a very high premium and therefore very high commission, and it could be a clean life. It could go straight through. And we've been, and our remuneration therefore is disproportionate with the amount of work that, that's, that's done. Flip that on its head, and we could be dealing with a very low value premium where, where it isn't a clean life, and the, the underwriting takes forever and a day and can in fact end up with a decline anyway. In any case that ends up with a decline, the advisor's done a lot of work, unless they've charged a fee, and that's a whole other conversation um, with a freeze and protection, unless they've charged a fee, um, they've done a whole lot of work for nothing. Bad consumer outcome, unhappy advisor. And okay, that's always been the case. But what I mean when I say help me not fall out of love with protections, because as we've been able to align our remuneration, our work much better on all areas of financial planning, protection has stuck out like a sore thumb and just becomes increasingly frustrating to the point where advisors are thinking, do you know what? <sighs> this, is, this is just too much hard work. And, you know, there's a risk there. This is interesting because obviously as I stepped out of being a product provider, these sorts of things have been in the back of my mind for years. And, and talking to, a, to an advisor like yourself who doesn't want to say no to a client, it becomes even more of, a, of an issue in my mind that the industry needs to tackle immediately. Now, maybe 10, 15 years ago, the number of cases that an insurance company was either rating or declining was probably about 4 to 5%. Nowadays, of course, because of this underwriting process has become so much more sophisticated, supposedly, and longer, and we gather more intimate medical evidence, you know, the, the number of cases that are rated or declined is about one in four cases now. Mm. And, you know, if you went into a supermarket and bought a trolley load of goods and you got to the checkout and the checkout lady said, 
actually we've we've mispriced one in four of every one of these items in your basket mm. you'd be really really annoyed yeah. and yet it's common practice now in the insurance industry to almost say no to one fourth of your clients and to me that is one of the biggest things that needs to change about this industry customers these days want fast decisions quick decisions positive decisions and they want to move on they don't want to wait three months to be told no that's right and, it, and it's it's all very well for, for for us to sit here and talk about you know being customer centric and it's all about the consumer outcome but at the same time we're trying to run a business and you can you can understand why advisors um w- would look at, at this in protection compare it with with other other lines of business and say you know, when I give my client retirement planning advice and we decide that it is appropriate to, to uh, transfer this pension and, 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 and put this plan in place and whatever it may be, and the customer says, fine, that's what I want to do. Well, that's what happens. And the advisor gets paid and the customer's happy and, and there on, on we go. And that's a great foundation for a good ongoing relationship. Whereas with protection, um, you, you know, you're flipping a coin. You're doing all the work. And, and just hope it. you can get right to the end of the process and find out there's health issues and so on. And, yeah, you've done all the work for nothing and the customer's not happy, um, which in fact leads me on to, 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 to say what we've done to try and combat that, because I think there's two, there's two big things at play here. Um, one is what can the IFA firm do to try and combat this issue and what is the industry doing? Um, and, and perhaps we could give a nod to what's happening at the lights of Underwrite Me and, and, and you can see why we're excited to see what's happening there. But what we've done as a firm, we've introduced uh, what we call a pre-research underwriting form. And so at the very early stages of having a conversation with a client, and and it's apparent that we're going to be talking about protection and that we're going to be doing some protection research with a view to making recommendations, I'll give them this single sheet and it just asks for, for headline health information. So I'm not asking for lots of detail. I'm just wanting you to know if there's any family history, if they're on any medication, any serious illnesses where they work at heights, this kind of stuff, which doesn't take them too long to fill in. That then forms a fundamental part of my research process because then when I'm, uh, I step away from the meeting, go away and, and do my research, and, and as I'm formulating my recommendations, I've got a short list of, of, of providers, maybe three that I'm thinking, okay, they're in the frame for, for this bit of work. I would then anonymously email uh, that form, uh, when I say anonymous, I mean obviously taking the client's name off, they know it's come from me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, that, that form to the providers and say, okay, these are the, the, the headline health issues as I understand them. Is this likely to create a counteroffer when applying for X, Y and Z policies? And Sometimes it's a very straightforward answer. Sometimes I might need to know a little bit of information, a little bit more information. But the point about that is that when I'm going to actually make my recommendations, I can manage my client's expectations at that point and say, well, an ordinary rates, this premium would be, say, £30, but because of X, Y and Z, there's a good chance that this might become £40. So we find in doing that, nine times out of ten, we don't get a counter offer at the end of the process that we're not expecting. So therefore, our take-ups are much higher than they would ordinarily be. It's interesting that you've had to create this process of your own mm-hmm. to effectively compensate for the process that the industry 
offers its, its normal service. And again, you've mentioned Underwrite Me, and, and I'm hoping to get uh, Underwrite Me on the podcast in the near future to talk about this. And a lot of those processes have, have happened for historical reasons, but they're still not customer-focused, and, and, and it's good that you've um, identified these and you're doing something about it. Let, let's just hope that the industry itself moves forward and starts to um, overcome these issues. Well, again, yeah, I mean, let, let's, let's complete the circle here and come back to my soapbox, which is, um, I think, the, the important decision makers, the powers that be in the industry, but either don't realise, or if they do realise, don't care that these are the frustrations and kind of, you know, shrug their shoulders and go, well, it is what it is. What they need is somebody from the coalface like yourself in there as a consultant, which you do, telling them, get this sorted out. Well, absolutely, this is it. And and, um, uh, people can be forgiven for thinking, that's just a little old IFA firm, you know, know, writing a a couple of policies (laughs) a week, who cares what they think? Well, all well and good, but our model probably represents 80% of the industry. 80-20 80-20 rule and all of that yeah. sort of thing, Pete. Yeah. And now the rewards for all your hard work and investment. Tell us about the results that you achieved at Plan Money. Well, what it means is that we think we're much more efficient in what we do. And, and um, th- this protection uh, uh, pre-research underwriting form is just an example. And by the way, I'm, I'm happy to share that with anyone who wants to take a look at it and if they can use it themselves. Um, yet the results are that um, we feel we get better client outcomes um, we write better quality protection business and the advisor hopefully isn't wasting so much time um, on, on something which will be an unhappy outcome for the client and an un- unhappy outcome for the advisor because they've done a lot of work and not been paid for it thank you pete for such a fascinating insight into your business and i think it's really clear from what you've said that your model of never wanting to say no to anybody has really worked really successfully for yourself as and as you admit you're a relatively small company you really can't afford to let customers walk out of the door and you've got those great mechanisms in place to make sure that you can do business with quite a wide variety of customers and i'm really interested in your pre-research underwriting form and your kind offer to share it with listeners of the podcast and we'll talk about how they can get in touch with you later on but before we go i always like to finish Finish the podcast with a quick fire round of business questions. So, are you happy to finish off with that? Yeah, go for it. If there was one thing that you could change about the financial services industry, perhaps by waving the proverbial magic wand, what would it be? It would be to ensure better communication between uh, the important decision makers in the industry, um, the people in the ivory towers, um, with those of, those of us at the coalface. Do you think that uh, the people in the ivory tower, and, and, I, and I was in the ivory tower myself, but I do at least feel that I try to get out of it from time to time and sit down either in a, in a discussion forum or, or over dinner or something with people like yourself to discuss the sort of issues that we've covered in the podcast uh, today. Do you think that there's more of an inclination for people to do that these days or are people just effectively becoming even harder to get hold of? No, I don't think there's any particular change. I, I think the, the big risk for the for, for the protection industry and, and, and the senior management in the protection industry is that you can become very blinkered because the rest of the industry, the financial planning work that we do and the work away from protection has evolved so rapidly in the last two or three years that there's a danger that, that the people that are protection-only people, and I, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way at all, 
um, become blinkered and, and aren't aware um, of what's going on in our world and what's influencing us, which in turn influences our view on protection. So I don't think people's attitudes have changed, but I think the world outside of the, of, of the protection bubble has changed and is changing rapidly. And uh, yeah, woe betide anyone who, who, who ignores that. What is, the, what is the one business model, product, campaign that's caught your attention in the last year? Even if it was from a competitor firm, tell us about what it was and what you liked about it. It would be the software um, development, which is CI Expert. Um, so this is a bit of software which was um, which was almost developed by accident, where um, Alan Lakey, the, 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 the guy who created it, had his own database um, of medical definitions and um, likelihood of claims being paid under particular definitions, which he created for himself, which influenced where he placed CI business, and realised this is a fantastic um, wealth of data, um, which could actually be created as something that we can all use. And there is nothing like it in the industry which enables the advisor to say, OK, company A may have 40 definitions and company B has 45 de- definitions. Um, this is the premium for one. That's the premium for the other. Which one should I recommend? Well, the most important thing to, in, in deciding what to rec- recommend is the quality of the definitions, not the premium, not the number of definitions, not the number of ABI plus definitions. And so this bit of software enables us to, to compare a scoring of different providers' CI products um, based upon the quality of the definitions. And, yeah, yeah, we think it's fantastic. And I'd go as far as to say that anyone who's advising on critical illness shouldn't do so without using this bit of software. I think CI Expert is an amazing piece of software as well. But it's also another example of something that's been created by a non-provider to cope with something that has been created by a provider. And in this instance, it is relatively complicated critical Absolutely. illness products. Absolutely. There's, there's a, 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 a huge wealth of data that, that goes behind this. And I, I suppose you could say, you know, why would a provider want to uh, facilitate a bit of software that doesn't show them in the best light? And, um, and therefore, I, I think it's had, it's had its critics, but probably from people who, who aren't shown up to be as favourable as they would like. Tell us about an app or a gadget that's made a huge difference to your life or your business. Mm, um, there are so many. <laughs> I know we've sat down and chatted over various different ones over the years. And um, when I did my uh, Money Martin profile in- interview, what would you do if you weren't in financial services? And I- I'd said probably something to do with working in music. And therefore, I like apps which enable me to access my huge database of, of, of music. So whether it's Spotify, whether it's listening to a bit of music and be, and be able to find out what it is quickly through Shazam or anything that enables me to listen to music on the go, apps like SoundCloud as well. Um, so it would be something like that. Or from a practical, more boring point of view, it would be mo- mobile banking apps because, yeah, fantastic. Anything that stops me having to walk into the bank, brilliant. <laughs> and finally, what's the best business book that you've ever read? Not a great one for business books. Um, I prefer um, business ideas that you can perhaps articulate at a high level, like we have done now, just talking about various different ideas. So I prefer something short and punchy, which gets a concept across very well and perhaps just change your thinking without having to spend a week reading it. And 
the example I'm going to give for this is a book called Who Moved My Cheese by Spencer Johnson. And this is a very simple, short book that you can read in about 15 minutes. And it was given to us when uh, by my manager when we were at Barclays and our team was going through some huge changes and everyone's having to reapply for jobs and all that sort of stuff. And basically the message within it is don't get complacent in what you're doing and always be looking for new opportunities. And sometimes change happens for a good reason. I've read that book myself. It's a it's a great short read. You yeah. could probably buy it at the station and read it on one train journey home. It's, it's absolutely well worth buying. It's, so, it's just sometimes you know when when it, it, I've passed it on to people lots of times when someone's in a difficult space and needs a bit of clarity of thinking. And it's just a nice simple message. And before we go, Pete, tell everybody how they can connect with you either on Twitter or LinkedIn or Google Plus. Yeah, well, the, uh, I'm on Twitter at Pete Chadbourne. Uh, can email me peter.chadbourne at plan-money.co.uk. Um, yep, and also find me on LinkedIn. And our website is plan-money.co.uk. Thank you, Pete, so much for talking to me today. It's been a fascinating conversation. And let me wish you every success and I hope to catch up with you again soon. Thank you, Roger. Pleasure as always. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Protection and Finance Podcast, also known as the Empath Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash empath for links to the apps and books and topics we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, I'd be grateful if you would leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a comment. If you are a provider, advisor or journalist and you have a product, campaign or business model that you want to talk about, do please get in touch. I'd be delighted to have you as a guest on the Empath Podcast. And before we go, just to remind you that nothing that my guests and I talked about on the show is intended to be financial advice of any kind. It's just our thoughts and opinions. Okay? Okay.